You're listening to a message delivered at First Family Church from the series Intentional Discipleship for Normal People. For more information and messages, visit our website at firstfamily.church. Well, the main text that I want you to say yes, Lord, to in this new series we're starting today is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is the text that we'll be using for our new series called Intentional Discipleship for Normal People. And we're going to spend eight weeks in two verses. We're going to take this section pretty much word by word. And it's my prayer that you'll say yes, Lord, to every single component within these two verses over the next eight weeks, all right? Let's just read the two verses first of all, can we? Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace... That is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We're going to root our study of discipleship in these two verses. And I hope you're thinking to yourself already, well, Todd, that's a verse to a pastor about raising up other pastors. I mean... There's not a lot of pastors in the room, so I'm not sure what's going on here. Isn't this kind of aimed at people like you to raise up other elders and then the elders to raise up other elders? What's going on? Actually, you're exactly right. Good work. This verse specifically, contextually, is aimed at pastors. But I would like to envision it like this. This is a single vertebrae on the backbone of the overall topic of discipleship. Because what's being said here is, Pastors, here's how and who, and specifically you're to be involved in discipleship to other men who desire to be elders and pastors. But this is more like a single vertebrae on the spine, the backbone of the, uh, backbone of the overall thing that runs through the New Testament of, of discipleship. And so I want to take a few moments before we dive into these two verses and just talk about the general theme that's kind of providing the, the backbone for this verse the theme of discipleship. I want to lay some groundwork for the next eight weeks, okay? I have a lot to say here, so just hang with me. We will make it back to these two verses, I promise. But I want to lay some good groundwork for the, rest, for the remainder of this week and the next eight weeks. Here's some things about discipleship you need to know that I think are, are biblical and prominent and that you need to wrestle with, okay? First of all, discipleship is, it's a follow-up to evangelism. Now, just hang with me here, okay? Not just to our series on evangelism that we did earlier in the year, but I mean even to the, 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 the uh, task of evangelism. Discipleship is that which comes along next and takes new believers and helps them learn to follow Jesus and learn to obey Jesus, all right? Discipleship is also a closer look at the larger process of making disciples, and it's here I need to press pause and be very vulnerable and transparent with you on an issue. That I've already used two words, discipleship and evangelism, as separate entities, but I don't really believe they are. So I'm I'm speaking to you with somewhat of a personal pastoral angst in this series. So what is that, Todd? It's that I think it helps the church to some degree to talk about these two things as separate entities sometimes. Evangelism and discipleship. I think I know why we do that, because we get good traction in them both. So I'm I'm learning to live with that. But theologically, technically, 
in my mind, there aren't two things that are separate. There's one singular, larger process always in view. It's making disciples of all nations. Can you kind of track with that a little bit? That's really what we're called to do. That's the last command of Christ. That's the first goal of the church. And so it's really one thing we're doing. There's a larger, singular process always in view, making disciples of all nations. However, somehow we've kind of divided that up. In a way, we've kind of dichotomized that into where there's evangelism and discipleship. We've done it in a negative way to where there are folks in the church who say, well, I don't, I don't evangelize, I just disciple. I don't, I'm not sure that's even legit. Or folks who say, well, well, I don't disciple, I just evangelize. I'm not sure if that's legit either. Because in the scriptures, it's one process that we are all involved in. Making disciples. And so I'm coming to you admitting that I'm talking about an aspect of a larger process, even though in my heart I think it's really just one thing we're all trying to accomplish, okay? I like to say it like this. It's really just one coin we're spending. We have one type of currency to use. That's it. We have one form of spiritual investment we're making. We are making disciples. That coin, that currency has two sides. Are you with me? evangelism and discipleship, but they're not separate. They're not two different things. They're really just part of one currency the church is always investing and spending, the currency of making disciples. So as we talk through this specific um, aspect of discipleship, as we take a closer look, be aware that I'm probably going to always be in a little bit of a personal turmoil as I'm preaching through this, Travis is going to help me a lot in this series, because I, I, I think it's really just one process. It's one larger, singular thing we're doing, and yet there are two aspects to it, it, is, it seems. My goal is to try to bring them into one so that we are taking a closer look at the larger process of making disciples of all nations. Lastly, this series, and I think the topic of discipleship, is a continuing loop. In other words... Discipleship inherently includes replication. I need you to listen very carefully here because you'll misunderstand me if if you don't. Discipleship by necessity means multiplication. All right? Otherwise, you just have like this really good friendship on steroids. You're getting together for coffee for, you know, eight years, 10 years, 12 years. You get the same thing, the same booth every week. And it's a really deep and good friendship. And I'm not opposed to really good, deep friendships. All right? But I need to be extremely honest with you. That's not discipleship. Discipleship, by necessity, inherently, in the words of Christ, demands and includes multiplication. This is probably the issue our church and other churches must wrestle with. We often think that fellowship is discipleship. It's not. Is fellowship bad? No. Is it healthy? Yes. Is it necessary? Good. But it's not discipleship. Discipleship, in the words of Christ and in the thread of Scripture, it must contain the element of replication, duplication, 
multiplication. Otherwise, you've just got a really good friendship. That's not sinful, but it's not discipleship either. Now, I do expect some kickback from this, a little pushback. I like that. But process it and think it through and use these scriptures that I'm about to give you to kind of um, gauge your own personal view. And ask yourself, am I correctly seeing discipleship Or am I just trying to disguise my friendship as discipleship so I can feel better about myself? But am I actually involved in obeying everything Jesus commanded and helping someone else do that? Here's some scriptures that I think show us, just a few of them, that show us the implicit nature of multiplication in discipleship, okay? We'll begin in Matthew, Matthew 28. We're going to work our way back to 2 Timothy, by the way. Matthew 28, where Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says to these folks who are disciples, they're to baptize them and they're to teach them. To do what? Obey everything Jesus said. So the the command is not to teach them what Jesus said. (laughs) The command is to teach them to do what? Obey what Jesus said. So implicit in this is that someone has not yet been baptized and they're yet unaware of what Jesus has commanded to do. And they're not yet doing it. So that means they're not a disciple. Jesus is is saying, go and, I'll use the word recruit or find, go and and preach to folks who aren't disciples so that they would become disciples. He's not saying here, guys, you 11, go to Jerusalem, find an upper room, and hang out with other folks who are already like you. Like, just do that, we'll be good. That's not what he's saying here. And I'm amazed at how many folks use this passage and miss the whole inherent assumption of multiplication. He's assuming that as they're going, they're going to meet and talk with people who aren't baptized, who aren't obeying, and who aren't aware of his teachings. And he says, when you find them, make them disciples. Are you following me so far? So there's the first one. Here's Mark 1.17. When Jesus said to the disciples, follow me, there's the first act of discipleship, I'll make you to become fishers of men. So here's a set of fishermen, literally, and he changes their focus from fishing, catching fish, to catching men, people. Are you with me? What's the automatic intended inference? That they would find people, they would catch people who weren't yet in the family, who weren't following And they would then teach them how to follow just as they themselves were following. In John, he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. He didn't say, so stay I you. (laughs) He didn't say, so sit I you. The, the, The sense is, as Jesus was sent by the Father on a mission to seek and to save that which was lost. So now we are sent in his stead as his ambassadors to those who have yet to hear. Acts 1.8. Here's the fourth of these scriptures. Christ said that when these early disciples would receive the Holy Spirit, then they would be witnesses. Not only in Jerusalem, but then in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Now watch this, church. If they were only going to witness to those who knew and saw the same thing they did, that wouldn't be a witness, would it? 
Because when you're a witness, you're actually testifying. You're giving evidence to something that this person's not aware of. That's why you're called a witness. If you've witnessed what they've witnessed, you don't need a witness, okay? So I'm just trying to show you plainly and very pastorally what I think is a a missing element in discipleship that actually Jesus Christ assumed from the very beginning. He said it. He taught it. It It was so natural in his thinking that as he sent people out, as he asked them to follow him, as, as he made them disciples, as he was sent to them, it was just understood almost that, you know what? You will do the same thing. You will now go and catch men. You will make disciples of other people. And so I need you to kind of grasp and grapple with this understanding of discipleship. It is a follow-up to evangelism in the sense that it's the second or other side of the coin. It's a closer look at the process, the singular larger process of making disciples, but it is a continuing loop that you pass on to someone else what you know and how you obey with the intention being that they would then pass that on to someone else. It is a continuing loop within the life of the church. These verses help me understand really what discipleship is at its core level. And so I've kind of drafted a simple definition for you. It's simply learning to obey all that Jesus commanded and then helping someone else do the same. Now there are better definitions out there. I wrote this because it's simple and I understand it and I can remember it, okay? I have no doubt that there's better ones by more famous authors And I, by no means today, am giving the final word on discipleship. I'm just kind of scratching the surface. We will for eight weeks. I'm trying to bring some attention, though, to some maybe some areas that maybe we have have not seen correctly. And so this definition helps us do that. Discipleship is simply learning to obey all that Jesus commanded and then helping someone else do the same. Now, notice in this definition a couple of words that I think are key. I think... The word obey is key because it takes us out of just simply getting spiritually, um, you know, puffed up with knowledge. Helps us realize that it's really action that distinguishes disciples. But the word learning is probably the primary key word here because this is the actual root word of the word disciple. This is what the word disciple comes from. So in the Greek language, the word disciple is mathetes. At its core, the etymology of this word is simply the word learner. Did you know that? In other words, you could put the word learner into the times the Bible used the word disciple and be technically, theologically accurate and correct. When Jesus said, come follow me and be my disciple, he says, come follow me and learn of me and learn from me. Matthew 11, when he says, if you're weary and heavy laden, then come to me and, and learn from me. My yoke is... Easy, my burden is light. And a yoke is the idea of here's one kind of, here's a device that has two, you know, holes you call it. I'm a terrible country farm guy, okay? But you get this yoke and you've got one ox here and one ox there. The metaphor, the analogy is that we are teamed up with Christ. We're learning from him. That's what a disciple does. And so discipleship 
is learning to obey all that Jesus has commanded. We learn that from him through his word, the Holy Spirit empowers us for that, through his church. And then we help other people, help another person do the very same thing, obey what Jesus commanded. That's what discipleship is at its core, um, the essential nature of it. It's just learning. And notice that it's an ING, a participle uh, phrase here, a, a usage, which means it's not something you arrive at and finish. Again, here's an aspect where the American church needs to kind of grapple with itself. I'm not a huge fan of like, well, I'm going to take a discipleship class. It's eight weeks long, and then I'll be done. Like, I'll, I'll turn the tassel, wear the hat. I'm, I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple. Okay, in one sense, yes, we're disciples because Christ has called us to follow, and we've answered yes. But it is an ongoing process of learning to obey all he's commanded. And so in that sense, we are always learning. In fact, can I just share with you quite vulnerably that one of the largest struggles we had at the beginning of our church, and I think those of you who are here we planted can maybe recall this, was trying to instill in our people the, the, the idea that our small groups is really where we're learning to obey Jesus. It's how we're being discipled, and that's a never-ending type of process. That's, a, that's an ongoing relationship. So you mean I don't graduate? Well, no, you really don't graduate from discipleship. You're just always in it. We're learning. And, and sometimes folks wanted the eight-week class, the six-week you know, seminar, the, the end date. And we would just say, actually, you're always being discipled. And hopefully we're always discipling someone else. And so this is what's going on here. It's a, it's a directional pursuit, not a destinational type of activity. It's not a set of classes. It's not a one-time event, it is a, 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 a direction of our life that says, what Jesus commands, I'll obey. Now, now, having said that, are there benchmarks that show progression? Yes. So there are gateways that would say to some people, wow, they are moving along the path of discipleship. For instance, here's the first one. And you know what I'm going to say here. Baptism. In the New Testament, what's the very first thing that new disciples did? They got baptized. And what is the first thing Jesus asked for us to do in the making of disciples? Baptize them. So when you watch someone get baptized, that's a destination in one sense. But it's not the end of the trip. You follow me? So there are benchmarks or destination points that we can say, wow, they're making progress. But the idea that that discipleship is a... uh, a final goal that, or, or an end time, and we say, well, okay, well, we're done. It just doesn't happen in the Christian life. We're always learning to obey Jesus. And as we do that, we're inviting people to join us and helping them learn to obey Jesus as well. When that happens intentionally, listen very carefully to this statement, when that happens intentionally, I think that's the purest, most biblical understanding of discipleship. Now, there's more about discipleship than, than just what I've said in those few minutes. And there's more verses than just the ones I showed you or even this verse here. That's why I've, I, I've given you this simple verse sheet on discipleship. You received it when you came in. I just encourage you to look those verses over. Think about them. They're, it's not exhaustive, but it's more information. It's more of God's word about this topic and about this journey that we're on. I'd also encourage you to pick up this book. Uh, it's called No Silver Bullets. 
It's by Daniel M. Uh, Chris and I both talked to him. Chris more extensively than me. It's a fantastic book on discipleship, and it will challenge some of the ways that maybe you, uh, maybe some of the assumptions you have, all right? In this first message, I just wanted to take that time and make sure we kind of laid out for you the background or the backbone of this verse in 2 Timothy in which Paul does exhort a specific pastor in a specific city, Ephesus, to multiply and duplicate himself. But why would he tell a pastor that? Because that's what all of us actually are called to do. This is the shepherd's role. Look at it with me again. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Here it is in regards to a shepherd's or an elder's or a pastor's role. He says in verse 1 and 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who then can teach others also, that's just the shepherd's perspective of the overall task we've been given to make disciples of all nations. And so before we dig into the very first word of these two verses, I just wanted to make sure you understood. This is the the goal, this is the aim of this series. That we would all just at some point come up under the the understood and even stated command of Christ. That we're to be learning how to obey Jesus and in helping someone else do the same thing. We are to be making disciples. Does that include Evangelism, yes. Does it include discipleship in air quotes? Yes. It's just one process though. We're looking at the second or maybe the head's side of that coin for a few weeks. But my heart, it beats to have every single FFCer who can commit to this type of lifestyle. Now, I hope you hear what I just said to you. I hope you hear this. I don't want there to be any misinterpretation. I'm praying that every FFC or possible would commit to a lifestyle that actually is deeper than just having friends. Are you hearing me on this? I'm praying that every FFC or who can would actually take the words of Christ seriously and say, wow, yeah, I've, I've got a great set of friends. We're going to Starbucks for 10 years. We've been going to Five Guys for five. We're like, you know, we, we do a lot together. We hang. It's great. I'm not arguing against that. Some of the first service thought I was, one guy said to me, well, we got the point loud and clear. You don't like friendships. <laughs> I said, I, he kind of laughed, and that's not what I'm saying. But I do think, if we're not careful, we can misdiagnose true discipleship and just kind of substitute friendship in there. And if a friendship never replicates and never multiplies, just don't call it discipleship. Just call it friendship. Don't think you're discipling someone you're not. Because inherent in discipleship is the multiplication, the replication of that obedience that you're doing in the life of someone else who then will replicate that in the life of another person. These are the things that I think we've got to kind of grapple with and and wrestle with as we think about what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. In regards to this text, let me assure you, 
your elders are in. We're committed to this type of ministry and this type of lifestyle. And we want you to follow us as we follow Christ in this area of discipleship. Now maybe you're asking yourself, well, Todd, how does that even begin then? If I were to say, you know, you're right. There's something going on here that's far deeper than even just friendship. How how does that start? How do I even find that kind of person? Is it the friend I'm meeting with currently? Is it someone different? How does that happen? Well, it goes back to this word, the fourth word in this passage, the third word in the original language of the Greek New Testament. It's the word child. It's what Paul calls Timothy. He says, look at with me again, you then my, say it with me, child. This is a word of family belonging. It, it shows us that Timothy was was relationally in some way, and I would say spiritually, connected to Paul. Something's going on here between Paul and Timothy that's bigger than friendship, if I could just say that. I think it includes friendship. But he actually calls him his child. It's not the word for infant. It's the word technon, which is just the word for like this young uh, offspring. It's used 77 times in the New Testament. Most of the time it's translated son, other times child, once it's translated daughter. It's often used of us as the children of God. It's a word that describes loyalty, belonging, relationship. This is the word Paul uses here to describe this relationship he has with Timothy. He calls him his child. Now, does that mean that Paul led Timothy to the Lord and was there when he was converted? We don't know. I don't think so. You can locate when Paul brought the gospel to Derby. It's Acts 14.21. Acts 14.21 describes that when he brought the gospel, there were several folks who became Christians in Derby. Later in Acts 16, the Bible says that then Paul came back to Derby. He found a disciple named Timothy. Now the question is, was Timothy one of the ones who got saved in Acts 14.21 or... As 2 Timothy 1 says, look across the page in our main text, what's he already saved because of the scriptures his mother and grandmother taught him as a young child? The implication from 2 Timothy 1 is that this is really how Timothy became a Christian, was through his mother and grandmother teaching him the holy scriptures. It doesn't say that explicitly, but I think the, the implication is this is what, if not brought him to salvation, at least led to him being ready for salvation, perhaps in Acts 14. Either way, I think we can say this. More than likely, Paul was not, listen to this, Paul was not the one at Timothy's conversion. He seems to give credit to his mother and grandmother on that. And yet Paul was especially father-like to Timothy, wasn't he? He had this really strong uh, paternal type of influence. That's why he calls him a child. And so as you think about this word and what it means, I wanted to bring before you some other times this word is used in the New Testament to try to get a picture of what's going on with this word child. Jesus Christ uses this word to talk about his disciples as well. He calls them children in Mark 10, 24. Again, family, belonging, a loyalty, relationship. Paul also addressed many of his new converts in several cities with this same word. So Jesus called those who were once lost and he called them to follow him. He then called them his children. And Paul did the same thing for new converts in the city of Rome, Romans 8, 16. He calls them children. 
He did it in the city of Ephesus. Ephesians 5.1, he says there's a walk as children. And in Galatians, he calls those new believers children. So when you find this word used, you find that, that at some point they weren't believers. They became believers and they became attached to the one who kind of helped them in their growth, typically in a specific place or setting. Most interestingly, the Apostle John only uses this word to describe his fellow believers. Do you know that? Now, we should not be surprised at that because John's the apostle of love. This word is a a word of loyalty. It's a familiar word. So when John only uses technon or children to describe the folks that he's working with, he's just saying, man, this is the only word I know about you. You're just family. He's got a real strong fatherly attachment to them. Now, 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 now watch this. When you think about how this word's used in all those instances, what it means and its etymology, I think there's three things that we can say about this word child that give us some insight into gospel genetics or to the DNA of discipleship. Okay? How do we spot a Timothy? Or how do we know if we're becoming a Timothy to a Paul? In other words, how do we find the people that we're to multiply or to replicate. How does this work? Where does this start? Where are the people with which this happens? I think there are three things that we'll find surface that will give us some clues like, okay, I've got a Timothy on my, on my radar. I've got a Timothy on my horizon. Here they are. There's usually a spiritual or missional opportunity. Do you recall when Paul showed up in Acts 16? Timothy was already a disciple, and then Paul was about to go preach the gospel and strengthen churches, so he took Timothy. It was a spiritual or missional opportunity available. There was also some physical proximity available. Now, this is on a spectrum. You may not be like right next to each other. You may be, you know, separated by some distance. But there's, there's got to be some sense of physical proximity whereby you can kind of rub shoulders with each other, connect with each other. And then as those things happen, I think the Holy Spirit then begins to show one or the other that suddenly now there's a relational responsibility to that person. I can't describe how this happens. I can't even point to a verse that says, here's the recipe that you'll you'll use to make this happen. But I sense in all of these instances that there was a, a leading of the Spirit when spiritual or missional opportunity existed with physical proximity, then the Holy Spirit just empowered these people to connect. So Jesus would say to Matthew, follow me. Paul would say to Timothy, go with us. He would ask Mark or Barnabas or Silas. Does that make sense, guys? And I am convinced that somewhere in our spiritual missional opportunities that have physical proximity uh, with them, God will lead us to the people or persons that we're to say, you know what? I enjoy being friends with you, but I think there's something deeper we're to do. It's much like evangelism. Remember in evangelism when we talked a lot about crossing the pain line? That we have a lot of people we talk with, but at some point you kind of step over the threshold and you share the gospel? This is the same concept again. At some point you're going to have a lot of friends. And hear me, I'm pro-friends, okay? But out of that group of friends, and it may be other people as well, but let's just say it's friends for now. At some point you're going to feel the Spirit prompting you to step over the threshold, the pain line of friendship and say, you know, Can we help each other obey Jesus more fully and better? 
with this goal in mind that at some point we'll stop working with each other and help someone else even obey Jesus, then that's discipleship. One of the men in this church that I highly respect, we did exactly this. We were meeting for about a year and some issues and things that he was wanting help with. And I could tell it was becoming somewhat repetitious, but I was enjoying the time with him and he with me. And then one day I said, you know what? Uh, I think this will be our last meeting. And I said it nicer over time, but I'm just giving you the short of it, okay? And he said, why? I said, because I think what you're asking me, you know the answers to. And the truth is, the guys that you're telling me about who are asking these same questions, they don't need to hear from me, they need to hear from you. I said, tell them what I've told you. I said, you're, you're a better fit for them than me. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, you're ready, man. And so these names that he had brought to me about needing help, I said, you take these names. And he said, okay. And at first, it kind of bothered him, I could tell. And I had a little guilt, too, like, man, I did, I, did I end a friendship? And the truth is, you know what? He was at 830 service. I didn't. We're friends. And more people have been helped and discipled. And more people are obeying Jesus because we ended our time. Because the point of that meeting wasn't just friendship. Remember, I'm pro-friends, okay? (laughs) But it was something deeper, and I would say bigger. It was discipleship. This is really what's happening. When these three things come together, spiritual, missional opportunity, and physical proximity, and then we watch God lay a name or a person on our heart, and we cross that line and say, what do you think about getting together for six months, three months, 12 months? And and let's really work at obeying everything Jesus told us, which, by the way, includes sharing the gospel with others. And when God brings someone else across our path, we'll end our time and we'll expand that to someone else. Or we'll keep our time and bring them in a loop, either way. But it won't just be about us meeting for coffee for the next 12 years. It'll be about us meeting to obey Jesus with the prayer and hope that others will obey Christ too. In my life, as a young person, this looked like what Richard Jones did to me. Richard Jones was probably the first person, apart from my parents, who really discipled me. He was my youth pastor. I was in seventh grade, and I was wondering how to get connected in our youth group. Um, and I ran into our youth pastor. And that may sound strange to you, but our church was like seven to 10,000 people. And so we just didn't run into a youth pastor most every week, you know. You might see him at a, at a function, but I ran into him in a wing of auditorium, and, and and I met him, and he, we talked, and I said, yeah, I've been kind of curious how to get involved. I was a little red-headed, dorky kid, you know. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. And he was so wise, he said, why don't I pick you up Saturday morning, and we'll go witnessing together. In our church, every Saturday morning, we'd have a, a group visitation time. And so all the teenagers would meet together, and we'd go out witnessing in our city. And I didn't need a ride. I had parents. We had a car. I didn't need a ride. But he was looking for spiritual opportunities that were missional in nature. And he knew we needed some physical proximity. So he said, hey, what? I'll pick you up and we'll go to visitation. We called it visitation. I said, sure. And that began, and well, I still know Richard today. We are friends. But um, he began to really disciple me. And we began riding together every Saturday morning to visitation. He took me home on Sunday nights after our, we had a thing called Singspiration. I'm dating myself here, I know, to so many people I know. We'd get together after church service on Sunday night, and we'd just sing a bunch of songs, and then we'd have refreshments. We had five meeting times every Sunday. That's a lot. We do one or two here, right? And I think there's something to be said for a lot of 
uh, greenhouse environment like that. But I don't have any baggage from that. Looking back, I thank God for immersing me in a culture where the Word of God was just always in front of us. I thank God for that. But that's another message. And so he took me home on Sunday nights. We played basketball together. He taught me Greek when I got in high school. Uh, he really showed me the value of, of just a lot of things uh, in the Scriptures. When I graduated from high school, he brought me on as a volunteer youth leader. And then when he left, I was a sophomore in college. He left to go pastor somewhere else. And he recommended the church hire me as the next junior high youth pastor. And, and, and I wasn't even close to being ready. I wasn't even up to unprepared yet, okay? I was below that. But somehow, uh, the church said, sure. And so my first job was a sophomore in, high, in college. I was the junior high youth pastor. And you know why? Because I had watched it and seen and heard it from my youth pastor. And my parents were secure enough. My dad, he's really the hero of my life, but to be honest with you, my dad was secure enough to let another man speak into my life during those important years. And he would just breathe on that and say, yeah, you can hang out with Richard all you want. That's a great thing for you. And I watched that happen. So when I became junior high youth pastor as a sophomore in college, and I was sitting in junior high Bible study with about 70 to 80 junior hires. That was my role to pastor them. Here's what I thought. Who, this is really what I thought. I thought, who in here can I disciple? Who can I do to them what Richard did to me? And guess who it was? Some of you will know this man. It was a little... He wasn't little, he was kind of tall actually, but a tall seventh grade kid named Mike Hain. Mike walked into junior high Bible study, dorky as could be, like I was in seventh grade, you know, puberty stricken, you don't know what's going on, you know. And I said to him, hey Mike, what are you doing? And there's a lot of kids around, but I remember just saying to him specifically, hey, why don't we get together and we begin to do things together? And God laid on my heart this relational responsibility because of physical proximity and some missional opportunities and Mike and I became, became fast friends. Mike passed on as well. I hope you, you're hearing something. Those are friendships, but they're larger and deeper than friendships. They're discipling relationships. Why? Because of the multiplication factor. Because of the intent and purpose. And God brings those about in our life, I believe, through these three types of elements that surface. So as you're thinking about where does this start in my life? If I really wanted to engage in something, and again, I'm pro-friends, okay, but if I want to engage in something deeper than friendship, I really want to follow Christ's commands to follow him and become a fisher of men, to make disciples of all nations, where does that start? Who do I find? I would look for these three elements to begin surfacing your life, where there's missional or spiritual opportunities combined with physical proximity to some degree, and then pray and ask the Lord, which of these people could I invest in intentionally in the normal course of life and help them then eventually pass that on to someone else? That's the beginning, the the genetics of biblical discipleship. Now you may be wondering... What powers, well, before I can say that, let me just kind of put this in, in maybe a phrase for you, okay? We've got to wrap things up, I know. Here's kind of how to wrap all this up in a single sentence. Concerning this word child, the idea of genetics and discipleship, which is what this word points to, this relationship, I would say it points to this observation, that the exchange between these two people is most fruitful 
when it is eventually between two people spiritually related, not just naturally connected. All I'm saying there is what I've said to you since we started this message. That friends, that's a great thing. Friendship is healthy and effective, yes. But that's natural connections from what you bring to the table on your own. You love football. You like going shopping. You like cooking. Name your hobby or preference. But discipleship really is when you are brought together and there's a relationship that's spiritually bound together by something outside of yourself, namely the gospel and the gospel's purposes. And so when that begins to kind of bring you together, you are spiritually related. In other words, you're not brought together just by a point of of reference that's natural. You're brought together by a point of reference that's supernatural. That brings you together. It may be at someone's conversion that you're there and you've helped lead them to Christ. It may just be that you've met them after that. It could be in numerous ways. But when that occurs, that's really the DNA of a discipling relationship. It's, that's when that thing's being birthed. That's what's happening. And I'm praying God will open our eyes to those types of relationships and environments that are happening around us so that we can have more of these types of relationships. Yes, continue your strong friendships. I will as well. Amen to all of that. But let's not just row the friendship only, church. Let's put our hands to the oars of the discipleship as well. So that more people come to Christ. That those who have yet to hear will hear, so that those who have yet to be baptized are baptized, so that those who have yet to obey what he said will obey. Does that make sense, guys? That's what we're after. These are the last words of Christ that should be in the first interest of the church. I need to wrap this up, but I need, there's two things I've got to say to you that I think will help free you. When you think about this statement and the spiritual relationship that has to occur for discipleship to really kind of begin to flourish, kind of the genetics that have got to be there for it to really take biblical shape, I think two things will emerge that will help you. First of all, when this happens, you'll find freedom. In other words, you'll realize there is a lot of people still left to be made into disciples. And you'll start looking around. You'll look at every encounter, every conversation as possibly the birthing room of a, of a disciple. And now this has made me wonder, can you disciple lost people? I don't know the answer to that question. But I know this, that Jesus called 12 lost guys to join him when he said, follow me, didn't he? So was he pre-discipling them? I don't know. I don't know how to answer this question. But I've been thinking about the freedom we have in just trying to help folks learn about Jesus and obey him and then help someone else learn about Christ. Maybe you can actually start saying, you know what, my neighbor's not a Christian, but man, I'm going to really begin to pray and work towards that end so they'd become a follower of Christ and, and then together we'll obey Christ. Maybe that's pre-discipling. Maybe you can disciple lost folks. I don't know the answer. I'm just saying, oftentimes in the church we think, well, I have to stay within my small area and just wait for someone who's already a Christian to come and say to me, you know, I really, I, I think this understanding really expands the freedom we have to look in all kinds of places for people who are thirsty to follow Christ. And then let's help them learn about that, right? But I also think it gives us fences. 
I think sometimes we press in on people who aren't ready to follow. And then because we feel guilty for leaving that relationship or leaving it only to friendship or maybe just letting it sit for a while, we, we, we kind of press in in ways that's maybe not healthy. I just want to say that if someone's not ready to multiply, to duplicate, to replicate themselves in their obedience with someone else, maybe they're not ready and just find someone else who is. Just to cut it straight for you, is that okay? So there's freedom. We've got a wider pool than we realize. At the same time, you've got some really healthy parameters. I think the idea that they're willing to learn in a set time period, so to speak, and then to multiply that or to bring them in, other people in, so that there can be multiplication is a great set of parameters that helps us understand what is true biblical discipleship. And the more clarity we have, usually the the greater effectiveness we have. All of this, of course, is driven by the gospel. You're not going to pursue any of this on your own. Do you know that? You can't work up the motivation or the effort to do this. You know why? Because you will, like I will, always resort. And and again, (laughs) Lord, please protect me from misinterpretation, okay? You and I will always resort to just human friendship every time. You know why? It's easier. I'm just being honest with you here. It's easier. It takes Holy Spirit empowerment. to watch God birth a a relationship with gospel genetics so that that relationship births itself again and then those birth again. That's only done by the Holy Spirit of God. The gospel must drive every bit of that. And here specifically is what I mean. When you begin to realize that Jesus Christ sought you out, that you actually weren't in his circle of friends, (laughs) You weren't in his family. You were actually an enemy. You were not reconciled to God. You were weak and in sin. And he sought you. He strengthened you. He took your your place. In other words, Jesus did for you what he's asking us in, in some way to go for others. Like find those who aren't part of the family and appeal to them be reconciled to God. When that becomes the overwhelming realization of your life, you know what you'll do? You'll make disciples. And only the Holy Spirit can bring that realization. That's why I say to you, the gospel drives every bit of this. The life and example of the great disciple maker Jesus, it goes before us. We follow in his steps. And just as he came, disciple 12 who later said that they, were, they turned the world upside down, we now follow in their footsteps. And we disciple those who will follow in our footsteps. This is the heartbeat of discipleship. Yes, to pastors specifically in this text, but to the church overall for sure. Learning to obey everything Jesus said and helping another person do it as well. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.